You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, today, I hope I can get through this really, you know, really good here. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of time, but I think I can unpack this pretty fast. You know, today I want to talk about a, a an aspect of honor. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think we have to really understand in this season that we're in is that I want to be talking to you about taking, taking who we've been and the momentum that we've created and that we've carried and, and taken with us to where God is taking us right now. I think it's really important and really imperative that we understand where we are as a church. Not just a church at Resurgent, but a church globally. Amen? Uh, God is doing some great things. He is doing some new things. And um, we don't want to miss out on that. Uh, and it's so easy to sometimes miss things that seems so obvious. You know, uh, I'm surrounded by older pastors and leaders in my life right now, which I know you, you don't believe this, but I'm getting older. <laughs> I look in the mirror, and I'm like, I'm getting older. And it's like inside, I, I don't feel old, but on the outside, when I look in the mirror, I'm like, I'm old. I'm getting old. And... uh you know, but um, as a group of people, you know, we don't, we're not static. God is, God is constantly doing things. He's constantly moving. And in saying that, there's a lot of transition that is happening and is going on. And it's a lot of movement from a generation that really has poured out its life to get a result, to get to a place. Does that make sense? Uh, and I'm talking really about the older generation, and um, that's kind of where we've we've landed. And it's like we've been doing this thing for a really long time, and we've we've had an objective to get to a place, and to have uh, have this feeling of hey, we we did what we were supposed to do. But you know, there's a lot of things when we're moving from here to there. Uh, it's unusual to have a lot of times a successful transition. I mean, a lot of times it's, it's far too often we drop what is most important. That we drop what is most important. Uh, and that's when we're moving from here to there. It's, and it's throughout history that we've seen this. Can you throw up that slide? Um, we see this through history, the bullet points. Thank you. There we go. Uh, you know, totally dropping what's most important. You know, we look at... Exodus, actually, there's a typo there. It's supposed to be Exodus 1.8. It said, a Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. How in the world could that happen? Like, I know who Joseph is. Why didn't he know who Joseph was? Just kidding. That's a joke. Here's the deal. I mean, Joseph was a guy who came in and saved the entire nation of Egypt. But somehow... The next leadership, the next pharaoh forgot and did not know who Joseph was. How does that happen? How, you know, how does that happen? Then we look at, in Judges 2.10, the elders, an entire generation, knew not God or what he had done. How's that happen? Come on. Seriously, think about this. How does that happen? Um, it said, you know, that Joshua and Caleb had gone on to be with the Lord. They were buried. And then the whole next generation of people that came in behind Joshua and Caleb 
did not know who God was. It did not know the things that God had done. That's, that's horrible. Then you talk about Solomon, and Solomon is like, you know, one of the most wise guys around. Wise guy. He's one of the most wise guys around. And you, th- you would think that Solomon would have this great succession plan, that he would understand if we're going to get from here to there, we have to do something to prepare for it. But instead, we've got his son who has come into the scene, Rehoboam, and you got a problem already when you got bum in your name. Come on. (laughs) Big problem, Rehoboam. And I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Where's my Bible scholar, Dallas? How do you you pronounce that? Rehoboam. I said bum. Kind of matches with what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. (laughs) This guy, for some reason... He thinks it's a great idea to reject the counsel from the most wisest guy around, his his wise men. He rejects the counsel of his father's elders. And he basically said, hey, I got this, and I can do this. I don't need your help. Big problem. Big problem. When we're talking about getting from here to there, what are we doing? And it's throughout history that we continue to see this. And it's, like, it's not like it's uncommon. It's actually very common that when we're moving from one place to the other that we forget stuff. We forget stuff. And it's because we get busy or we get enamored with other things that feel like they're more important. I mean, how many of you guys have ever moved before? And you're in the process of moving. I'm looking at Alan and Lori because they're in the process. And they're like, no, don't, don't touch. But and you're like, these boxes with and you label them and you're like moving and you're like hey what happened to that box I had here that was labeled miscellaneous stuff and you're looking at people hey did you get that box no I thought you got that box no I'm pretty sure you got it no I think you got it well in that transition you lose things we lose stuff because we're we're not putting a focus on the most important thing and we're not planning for down the road and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a crazy thing because when you start talking about transition, tr- there's so many things that are involved in transition and for it to be successful. Can you throw up that other slide? Here we go. It's coming, I promise. All right. How many of you guys have been to Europe? Anybody been in? Oh, man. I haven't been to Europe. I, I, I want to go to Europe. So, crazy thing, you go to Europe, and one of the most astounding things that you see, mainly like in England and Scotland and, and Paris and some of these other areas, is you look across the city landscape, and there's all these chimneys. Chimney after chimney, like 60 chimneys on one house. That's over-exaggeration. But look, I mean, there's quite a few chimneys on there. And you got all these chimneys on these houses, and it's like you go inside these places, and there is a fireplace in every single room. Every single room you go into, there's a fireplace. And it's, a, it's pretty much a testimony that at one point, well, it's also because it was very cold there, <laughs> why they had so many chimneys, and why they had so many fireplaces, but at one point, it's a testimony to their heritage, and what they were doing was they built the architecture around the fireplaces. 
And their central theme and their central focus was to gather around fire. Amen? To gather around fire. And, uh, you know, I had a friend who was staying in Edinburgh. Anybody been to Edinburgh in here? I'll get a couple. Man, you guys are world travelers over here. And uh, they were staying in Edinburgh, and him and his wife went into this hotel, and uh, they go upstairs to their room, and they get in there, and there's like two fireplaces in there. And they were like, oh, man, this is so awesome. We, there's two fireplaces. Let's, let's start a fire. You know, we'll create a little cozy atmosphere, a little, you know, we're going to get two fires going tonight. You know what I mean? That's what, man, you guys are looking so straight-faced. Come on. So he calls, he calls down to the front desk, and he says, hey, man, I want to get some wood for this fireplace. And they're like, uh, sir, we're sorry. We, we, we can't, we don't have any wood, and those fireplaces are illegal to burn. We've, we've outlawed it now. That's, you cannot burn fires or in these fireplaces. We've shut them down totally. And he's like, oh, my gosh, you're kidding me. He goes, how do you have all these chimneys and all these fireplaces, and you've managed to shut them down, and now you can't even start, start a fire in them? And, you know, he's, you know, he was like, went on to elaborate some things, but it's like, this is kind of what happens to us in the church. We get momentum, okay, and we have a group of people who have gone through all stages of church life, of ministry, and we finally discover how important the fire is. And the next generation is standing there waiting to have the fire handed off to them, and we, and we drop it. We totally drop it. And, we, and there's a lot of reasons why we drop it. Um, because we failed, we failed to communicate the top priority of heaven. And as ambassadors of heaven, uh, our chief prior, priority is to carry fire into the world. And, you know, again, talking about transition, it's like, how do we drop that? How do we lose that focus? And I hate to say it, but a lot of it comes down to fear. It, it comes down to fear. Now, if you haven't been in leadership, maybe you're not going to relate to this as much as I'm relating to it, but we all are a part of something bigger than ourselves. And we've all, to some degree, have had things modeled to us that were not healthy. And one of the things that has been modeled to us in the church for a really long period of time is not letting go of things faster than we should by handing it off to the next generation. And we've, we've literally dropped the fire and we've put our focus on something else. And a lot of, again, a lot of it is because it's out of fear. And, you know, how do we, how do we hang on to each other when it feels like we are losing value for each other because we're afraid that if we give somebody something, what are they going to do? And, you know, Martin Scott from the late 1900s, he made this statement. And uh, we've heard this statement, kind of flip side of this, but it's fathers and mothers not raising up children, but raising up mothers and fathers so that we have powerful people who are running together for the well-being of the whole family. You know, in our circles, we've heard, hey, you know, fathers and mothers, and you're my spiritual son, my spiritual daughter. But really, what, 
we've done is we've taken that to a certain degree and we've made it unhealthy in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying the intent was always to be unhealthy. The intent was to be good. But if we're not careful and we don't understand that if we don't teach people how to be powerful, if we don't teach people that there's a graduation period from being sons and daughters to being mothers and fathers, and, and we hold the keys to that, you and I hold the keys to that, it, it's our responsibility to transition our children from becoming children to young adults to adults, just like in our homes, and giving them responsibility and then releasing them and letting them run with the responsibility, even if it means they fail, right? How hard is that? It's hard. Come on. It's really hard, especially when you're, you don't, you know, we're doing it out of a place of love because we don't want to see people, uh, we don't want to see our kids fail, and so we're like, oh, I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart, so I'm going to keep holding on to it until I just know that I know that I know that you're not going to fail at it. And what we don't realize is it's in the failure is where we learn and we grow. And so we have to, we have to take those steps. And even as, as hard as it is, we, we have to let them go and we've got to let them do that. Because if we don't, we end up creating leaders who are surrounded by children their whole leadership life. And, um, you know, we, we, we go around and we say, oh, you're my son and you're my daughter, you know, and, and you will always be little and I will always be big and glorious. We might not say that, but that's what we're thinking. Cody said that's verbatim, that's a quote. Well, I hope you didn't hear that from me. If I did, I repent right now. Uh. Here's the deal, guys. We are part of something so much bigger. We are a part of eternity. We are a part of eternity. And we cannot forget that we cannot lose sight of that. The world does not end when we're gone unless Jesus comes back. The world does not end when we're gone. It keeps going. So as it keeps going, what are we going to do to prepare the next generations that are coming in behind us? And um, I know we don't talk about this a lot. I mean, this might even seem kind of bizarre that I'm talking about this this morning. But with all of, everything that's coming to light with all the revival stuff that's starting to happen, we've got to realize that God is bigger than us. And that he can do whatever he wants to do. And he will empower whoever he wants to empower. And he will raise up children if he has to. To do what he has to do in this nation. And we have to understand that we have a bigger assignment than just finishing our race and doing nothing. And waiting to go on to glory. Listen, if you're waiting to go on to glory, bless you. <laughs> but as long as you're breathing, hey, check, check the person next to you. You hit them or something. Say, are you breathing? As long as you are breathing, you have a purpose here on this, on this earth. And we cannot lose sight that we are a part of eternity that just stretches from one place to the other. It's like Buzz Lightyear says, to infinity and beyond. It's to infinity and beyond. And um, let's throw up these other pictures, if you got those ready. I'm, I'm, I'm all into Europe today for some reason. Here we go. 
I've been what? Dreaming. Yeah, come on. Because in reality, we, you know, listen, our life is just a blip. Blip. <laughs> just like that. Just like that. It happens that, guys, are you, you, do you relate to this? It happens that fast. And um, it happens that fast. And uh, look at these castles. I, I, what I love about these castles, well, for one, they're medieval. They're so cool looking. But when you think about it, these, some of these castles, not these exact castles, maybe some that are like it, literally took hundreds of years to build because they didn't have the machinery, they didn't have the equipment, and it took generations to build these castles. Don't you know that the guy who started the job, who said, hey, I got an idea to build a castle, don't you know he knew that there was no way in Gehenna you like that? That's how I get away with saying a cuss word in church. Uh, there was no way that he was going to be around one single day to live inside this castle. So why, why did he build it? Because he had, he had foresight. He, he, knew, he knew what God was going to do. And he, was, he wasn't building it for his comfort. He was building it for the comfort of generations to come. This is how God thinks. God thinks generationally. He doesn't just think about one group of people. He thinks generationally. We've got to adjust our thinking when we start going after the gospel. We need to understand it's not just for the people directly in front of us. It's for generations to come. For generations to come. You know, life happens so much faster than any church being built or any organization being built. I mean, I'm realizing this after starting a church. It's like, man, when you're, you're five years in, it's like, wow, this is work. It's work. And I'm a lot older than I was when I started. And I'm like, so what, what, what are we building? What are we doing? Are we building something that is going to last for, for generations to come? Or are we building something that's just going to fulfill our immediate needs right now? And I, I just, I've been thinking about that a whole lot. And, um, you know, uh, we, are, we, uh, we are to connect the strength of our lives to the progression and the advantage of the next generation. And in our growth and maturity of being ambassadors of heaven on this earth, we are to carry the fire into this world. This is the only thing that makes us different from any other organization in the world, is fire. You guys realize that? Because if it isn't, then what are we building? And what are we doing? And what, what is God wanting to do? And, you know, our programs don't matter. <laughs> our numbers don't matter. Butts in the seat don't matter. It's how well we steward the fire and pass it from one generation to the next. And, uh, you know, when a movement stops, it becomes a museum or a theological seminary. In some cases, not in all cases. Yeah. Uh, where, where we just sit around and we talk around, not a fire any longer, but we're just talking around the ashes of the fire. And we're saying, oh, this used to happen in our denomination. 
this used this is a part of our history. Uh, and we're, t- we're talking about what happened in the past. I, and we got a building, we got a bunch of stuff in it. But all we're doing is gathering around the ashes of what used to be. So w- we've, we've got to understand that, <laughs> again, when a movement stops, it becomes a museum. And that's the consequence of when a movement stops. And this is where we have to shift just attaching ourselves to a movement but attaching ourselves to the one who's moving the movement. Listen, how many movements in your lifetime have you seen come and gone? Right? And, and we see it all the time. I mean, of course, people go after fire. You know, whenever you see a fire, people are attracted to a fire. But people run to the fire, and they wait for the fire to just burn hot and bright, and then until it burns out... And then they go look for another movement. They go look for another fire. What do we call it? Fake, fake fire, some false fire. Sometimes it's true fire, but what I'm saying is false fire. Oh, okay. Um, but what happens when, when, when we don't understand that our relationship and our connect, connectivity, our connection to the one who started the movement is what creates something that can't be put out? It can't be put out. And, and I'm not knocking, I promise you, I'm not knocking any of the revival things that are happening right now. But let me tell you, revival is not at a certain place. It's in your heart. It's in your heart. Sure, you can go to places and you can get ignited. You can get, you can get encouraged. You can go, you know, just stir yourself up. But God wants those fires everywhere. Not just in Kentucky. Not just in certain other places. He wants it right where you're living. Because why? He wants to impact a world that needs it. And is, is dying for a, for, a, for a connection, for an, for an encounter with a living God. You know, Proverbs 13, 22 says, A righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And when we, when we talk about inheritance, a lot of times we think about an inheritance as being just money. An inheritance isn't just about money. It's about beliefs, values, uh, your, your, your stance on certain things, the, 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 the heart behind what you've been going after all your life. Those things are passed along to your, to your children and to your children's children. And, and uh, I love... I love in 1 Chronicles 28, we see that David had it in his heart to build a temple for the Lord. And he wanted to build a permanent resting place for the Ark of the Covenant. Yet because, remember, he was a man of war, God said, you can't, I'm not going to allow you to build the, the, the tabernacle. So David said, okay, fine, I'm out. I'm not doing anything because I can't do it myself and I can't get the glory for it. Is that what he said? No. David had enough foresight, and he had a heart for the generations that he began to start a plan. He had a plan. He, he could have given up on the dream, he, 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 recognizing that he couldn't accomplish it himself, but instead he created this plan. So David, what did he do? He laid the groundwork. He prepared the way for the next generation. He shared the vision. He called on his son to help. He probably called on all of his kids to help. He allocated resources for the project. He identified the people with the right skills to get the job done. 
He encouraged others to give into the vision. Let me read this from John Adams. Back in the day, everybody know who John Adams is? One of the presidents. Second president. Thank you. This is what he wrote to his wife. He said, I must study politics and war that my sons may have liberty to study painting and poetry, mathematics and philosophy. My sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, and music. I think that's pretty insightful. This, this goes in line with what, what David did because David was a man of war. David knew that he had a purpose for his life, and he knew that his purpose was to make a way for the next generation. I love what Bill says, Bill Johnson. He says, my, my ceiling becomes your floor. And so generationally, that's what we do. We set ourselves up for success. We set up the next generations for success by having a plan and by ha- knowing how to get from here to there. In, in, in knowing exactly uh, every detail that we have to make sure to get done in order for that to happen. You know, a dying church cannot win a dying world. And revival must happen in the church first as God is giving us right alignment and shifting our priorities. Because I'm going to tell you something, this emerging generation, they're not going to stand for anything less than the power of God. An authentic relationship, in genuine relationship. We see this happen in Asbury right now. It wasn't a great worship team from Bethel. It wasn't somebody from House Fires. It wasn't somebody from, give me some other names, Maverick City uh, with the lights. And, the, and I'm not knocking that because a lot of that was a foundation that got laid to prepare for what's coming. But what I'm saying is God did something extraordinary special when he started this in this college with just authentic students. They didn't have a stage with lights. They didn't have, a, they didn't have all the percussion. They didn't have all the things that, that got up with an open heart and just began to sing. And what happened? The presence of God began to show up. And then what else happened? Then some of the unhealthy mothers and fathers that didn't want to turn them loose and let them be uh, what God had called them. They started coming in and trying to, hey, we want to help. Not all of them did it, like out of a bad intent, but there were a lot. You know, they shut, they shut it down to the public now. Do you all know that? They shut it down. Why? I thought that was great insight by the university because they didn't want somebody coming in and hijacking what God was doing in these young people. I thought it was brilliant. And um, this is where we end up with 60 and 70-year-old prophets, apostles, evangelists, teachers, because mothers and fathers, if they don't have a healthy understanding of how to get from here to there and how to transition properly, 
we don't allow the younger generation to step in those roles because we don't trust them, because we're walking in fear. So God is blowing that up. (laughs) He's blowing that up sovereignly. And he's saying, hey, listen, they're going to make mistakes, but it's okay. I'm okay with them making mistakes. Wouldn't you have loved? I mean, if, if you're in here and you're over 40, I know you can agree with this. Wouldn't you have loved if somebody would have just turned you loose and let you do some things and not held on to the reins so tight? You, you'd have come along a lot faster and you'd have learned so much. Yeah, would you have made a mess? Yeah, but who cares? We can always clean up messes, Right? With healthy communication, clear communication, we can always clean that stuff up. But if we're not doing anything, there's no life involved with it. There's no fire. Um, you know, <laughs> Bob Jones prophesied years ago, and I know we, we heard this prophecy, and when it didn't happen immediately back in 2019, and all this other stuff didn't happen in 2020, everybody started shutting down the prophetic, and the prophetic started getting a bad name for itself. And, uh, you know, it's, it's so crazy because people, they, they expect you to be perfect. And, you know, the Bible says you, you, know, you prophesy a part and you know in part. We don't know everything. But here's Bob Jones giving a prophecy that when the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, that he, he would begin to raise up his apostolic chiefs to go into every region across this land, and, and raise up the next generations and to help come alongside of them and be there for them, for the billion soul harvest. We're starting to see that happen right now. I mean, here they've won two Super Bowls in a span of three years. And it's, I mean, this happened literally the week after the Super Bowl. I mean, isn't that crazy? God's doing something. He's, he's up to something. He really is, and uh, I'm excited to be living in the times that we're living in, and, uh, you know, we've, we've, in the church for too long, we've, we've gathered around hype, we've gathered around hype, and we've gathered around celebrityism, and, and if that's a word, celebrityism, um, you know, we've gathered around the wrong things, and I think God's hit a reset button for all of this, and if we are smart and we're wise and we realize what God is doing in these times, we will jump in and we will partner with him on this. Terry and I were at a leaders meeting at Bethel about five years ago and I remember sitting in a meeting with, not personally, but in a group of leaders with Bill and Chris and it might have been Danny and uh, Danny Silk and they said, hey, where we are at Bethel right now is we're no longer the guys that are leading this movement. We're the, we are the grandparents of this movement. He said, our job is to give all the kids and the grandkids candy and get them all jacked up, you know, on candy. And, and the point they were making was, you know, and, and it sounds funny when you, when you say it like this, I must decrease so that he may increase. But this, this, that is a model that when we start transitioning from one generation to an, another genera- generation, we are decreasing in some areas, but it's a healthy decrease. Does that make sense? And that we've got to understand that that's, that's our role. That's what we're called to do. 
And we shouldn't feel insecure or obsolete or that our identities are wrapped up in how much time we get to spend on a platform or how much time we get to spend speaking or being the person. Because our roles have changed. And our roles are to come along and be grandparents and to feed the kids candy and the grandkids candy and say, you can do this. You can do this, and we're here to support you. I'm going to do something real quick. I know we're running out of time, but everybody that's 0 to 39, stand up. 0 to 39. I didn't say 0 to 33 because that's when Jesus died. So, guys, I want you to look at this. This is the next generation. Come on. Woo, come on. Give them a big round of applause. This is the next generation. It really is. I want you to do something. If the person that's standing, I want the people that are sitting down, go put a hand on these these people that are standing up. Go find them, put a hand on them right now. And we're going to pray over them. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I want you to confess this over each one of these young people, younger than us, (laughs) that's, that's standing there in front of you. I want you to repeat this. Say, I see you. Thank you for your life's investment. Thank you for all the things you're going to do for the glory of our Father. I know you can handle it. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for being here. Thank you for adding your strength to our mission. I honor you, and I see you as powerful. Thank you. Yeah. We just, we just release God's grace, His anointing over every one of these young people in this room today. And we just thank you, God, that this generation is going to be the generation that ushers in such a great move of God. They are, going to, they are going to usher in one of the greatest moves we've ever seen. Father, we just speak blessings over them, just supernatural anointing, an increase in your strength, an increase in your power, and an increase in, Father, just an awareness of what you've called them to do.